Twins born alive and left to die in Edmonton, Alberta. A new pro-abortion chant demanding, put the fetus in the bin. Pressure from the UK government on Northern Ireland to promote abortion access. The mandatory waiting period in Jersey is considered an unnecessary barrier to accessing safe and legal abortion care. And according to one study, five years later, 96% of women denied abortion no longer wish they could have had one and more coming right up stay tuned hello everyone and welcome back to the pulse my name is peter i'm the host of the show and with me once again is my wonderful co-host my very well bearded brother cameron <laughs> how are you sir i am doing very well peter and i'm looking forward to diving into all of this important and interesting info from around the world as it pertains to abortion talked about through a pro-life lens so that we get our own story communicated. I think it's so important that we as pro-lifers take a look at what's going on and we tell the facts as they are and also how this impacts the pro-life community and don't just leave it up to the pro-abortion conventional media to do that story for us. That's right. Yeah, that's key. We've talked about that in other episodes as well. We want to tell our own stories and this is an opportunity for us to do just that. So go hit that subscribe button, share this with your friends and stay tuned as we share some, as Cam said, important and interesting abortion related news from around the world from a pro-life perspective. Starting off in Canada, the Conservative Party of Canada recently had their annual convention and pro-lifers are claiming success following that convention. Right now, which is a pro-life group whose mission is to nominate and elect pro-life politicians, worked with a number of, of pro-life politicians to create a winning coalition for the party convention. The, the convention is uh, the type of thing that des decides the sorts of policies that's going to be on the party platform, decides who's going to sit on the national council, and uh, a number of other things like that. So let's talk about some of the things that happened. Nearly 40% of the Conservative Party of Canada's newly elected National Council members were endorsed by anti or by pro-life groups, rather, uh, because of their pro-life position. The Nas National Council, it's basically a, a board of directors for the party, and they make vital decisions, such as appointing the Leadership Election Organizing Committee, which is the body that establishes the rules of the party's leadership race, and acts as the final arbiter for candidates who have been disqualified by the National Candidate Selection Committee. And so what this means is they have incredible voting power for what happens within the Conservative Party. And so having these social conservatives, having these pro-lifers uh, pro on, on uh, sitting on the National Council is vital for good policy and good leadership decisions. There were a few other things as well. There were a lot of uh, policy proposals and some constitutional amendments that had to do with abortion and, and had to do with defending human life. Five of the policy proposals that right now supported at the convention all passed and 32 of the 35 constitutional amendments went in the pro-life way. Now, there are a few reasons for this, and one of them is that right now was working tirelessly across the country to get pro-lifers signed up for the Conservative Party convention so that they could vote. And, and according to right now, 25% of those who voted in the Conservative Party convention were those who came there because of the work of right now. 25% of the votes that they know of. Um, were pro-life because of the work that pro-lifers did behind the scenes to, to be involved in the national politics. 
Mm-hmm. Can't speak highly enough of our colleagues over at Right Now. Um, wonderful, wonderful group. And I think it's important for people to recognize that this isn't necessarily saying that Right Now is specifically endorsing the Conservative Party of Canada. I think it's important to recognize that it's important that pro-lifers get involved in all different levels of politics and all different parties in politics. If we can make the Liberal Party of Canada and the New Democratic Party of Canada more pro-life, why wouldn't we? If we can put 50 bucks into a membership and make pro-life uh, policy within these um, groups, I think we absolutely ought to be doing so, regardless of whether you vote for this group once the federal election comes along or not. I think that we as pro-lifers have the obligation to do what we can to make all forces that are relevant and active for change as pro-life as possible. And so again, this isn't a complete endorsement of the Conservative Party of Canada, but rather an opportunity for pro-lifers to flex their muscles and to make positive change. And right now made sure that happened. And so I, I really commend them for their work. I commend the people who participated in that convention. And again, this doesn't mean that you have to vote for them if, if you're a member of the Christian Heritage Party or supporting an, um, an independent candidate or whatever it may be, this is an opportunity that we have to make a change in some group that is making changes themselves. Either we don't get involved and they pass pro-abortion um, policies, or we do get involved and we make an important group more pro-life. And that's really important, uh, as you say, Cam, the, the importance of getting pro-lifers involved in politics. Uh, I know from, from my own experience and from things that I read, it seems like a lot of social conservatives just kind of peace out of the political process because it seems like there's really nothing that can be done. And I think one of the things that we see here with right now with the other organizations that were involved, I think the Campaign Life Coalition was as well, is that when pro-lifers band together and when pro-lifers come together with a strategy, we can make change uh, in the political climate and the, in, the, in the political arena. And so th this is not a, a time for social conservatives and pro-lifers to peace out of the process, but to continue to be involved. So if you're in Canada, get in touch with right now at itstartsrightnow.ca. If you're in any other country, get involved in the political process. I'm sure there are, are pro-life organizations working to do just that. Continuing on in Canada, the Wilberforce Project, which is a political uh, pro-life organization based in Alberta, Canada, has just posted an extremely heartbreaking story. And it was written by a mother of twins, those twins who passed away in 2018 after being born alive and prematurely. Let me read to you what the mother writes. I quote, my sons were born healthy and strong, but young. Their little bodies were perfectly formed and so indescribably beautiful. Thunder was 10.2 ounces and measured 21 weeks and 3 days. Cloud was 12 ounces and measured 22 weeks and 1 day. That is 6 days away from the 23-week gestational marker which would have qualified them for medical care. Instead, the medical team used Thunder's smaller measurement and classified them both at 21 weeks and denied them care. I begged the medical team to help them. They told me there was no chance for them as their lungs were not developed. They implied that I was being cruel to want to save them as they would be in pain and have 0% chance at life. That's when we knew we would only have a brief time with them alive. So instead of arguing with the doctors, we decided to just enjoy our sons while they were with us. We held them and watched them move, wave, and squirm. We also watched them struggle to get enough oxygen 
change color, and die in my arms. Thunder lived for one hour and 20 minutes. Cloud lived for one hour and 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. What a heart-rending story. I was speaking to um, Stephanie Fenley, the executive director of the Wilberforce Project, earlier today, and what a heart-wrenching story. And though it, it may be unclear as to exactly what the medical team could have done, I think it's important to reflect on this story, this tragic story of this mother who desperately wanted to um, provide care for her children and, and the beautiful testament that it was, and also to reflect on the fact that the Criminal Code of Canada states, and I quote, a child becomes a human being within the meaning of this act when it has completely proceeded in a living state from the body of its mother, whether or not A, it has breathed, or B, it has an independent circulation, or C, the navel string is severed. I think it's important to note this because tragically, children this age and older are directly and intentionally killed by abortion in Canada. It doesn't happen as frequently as it may at earlier stages of pregnancy. However, it does still happen far too frequently. And while we are still trying to unravel exactly what can be done to provide better care to children like Thunder and Cloud, we will need to continue advocating for children like them and even older who are directly and intentionally killed through abortion, legally, because they have not fully proceeded from the womb of their mother. And so this is an important story for us to continue following to ensure that medical care is provided to all those in need of it, regardless of how old they are, and also to really challenge this idea of whether late-term abortion, um, particularly those that the child could literally survive outside of the womb, um, should they have been delivered, whether or not that is appropriate in Canada. Yeah, and, and talking about the Criminal Code of Canada, I, I mean, th- this 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 section there, we completely disagree with it. We would say that that a child becomes a human being at the moment of fertilization, which is precisely what the, the biology tells us. And so we would disagree that a child becomes a human being once they completely uh, exit their mother's birth canal. And here we have two children exit their mother's birth canal. And like you said, it's, it's difficult to know what could have been done with the current state of our medical equipment and, and medical, medical progress. And yet just to let them die seems like a great indignity to them. And so, Cam, I echo what you say. We need to do what we can to, to further dignify these children as much as possible and continue to fight for their lives, whether they're at this stage and they're born or whether they're at their stage and they are not yet born. And with that, we move to Arkansas. We talked about the Biden administration in the past. I'm sure we're going to continue doing that. But the the Biden administration continues to introduce a raft of pro-abortion policies at the federal level. But like we've said in the past, that's not changing. And that's not affecting some of the things that are happening at the state level as state legislators are working to make abortion less, a more restrictive and less accessible in their states. And so states continue to pass anti-abortion laws. 14 states uh, have seen lawmakers propose sweeping abortion bans uh, across the United States in 2021 alone. And on March 9, Arkansas Governor Hutchinson signed a near total ban on abortions in the state of Arkansas. Unlike many abortion bans, Uh, This law, this Arkansas law, does not allow for abortion in the case of rape or of incest and only permits the procedure to save the life of the mother. Now, Hutchinson, the governor, he had previously expressed concern with this bill that it did not have enough exceptions in it, but eventually decided to sign it 
uh, one of several he has signed since taking office nearly six years ago. And he, he signed it because of the law's overwhelming, overwhelming legislative support and because of his sincere and long-held pro-life convictions. The bill's sponsor was Republican State Senator Jason Rappert, and he stated, and I quote, we must abolish abortion in this nation just as we abolished slavery in the 19th century. All lives matter. Mm-hmm. I think this is a great example of the incredible work that can be done at the regional level. Whatever country you may be in, there are important steps that you can take to protect and defend human lives. That not only is this a political win, but this is an educational win as well, because this keeps the narrative in public consciousness. This keeps people thinking about whether or not it's okay to kill an innocent living human to solve even the hardest of problems, even the most challenging of circumstances. This keeps people thinking about abortion. And I commend all of those involved in advancing, drafting, and ultimately um, embracing this bill so that not only politically we can have a win and have more babies who are legally protected, but also um, this will continue the narrative as I'm sure this will be challenged at the um, Supreme Court level. This is something that can continue to educate Americans and people around the world on the fact that all living members of the human family should get human rights and that it's an absolute abomination that the weakest, most vulnerable members of the human family for um, the, the right of choice or, or for whatever reason can be killed for the convenience of others. I think it's good to note as well, Cam, uh, that there are a lot of people, and pro-lifers included, who look at the situation of the health of the mother, the, the justification for abortion, and really wonder whether, you know, whether it's a good thing that those, uh, mm. those, those circumstances are in there, that those, um, those exceptions are in these bills um, because they are concerned about the life of the mother. And I want to say, and, and I speak for you as well, I believe, and for our organization, that we are also concerned about the life of the mother. And, and sometimes there are very difficult situations that the uh, medical situations that the woman is in when they're pregnant and difficult um, decisions need to be made. And well, we don't have the time in this episode to talk about uh, the medical situations surrounding uh, a, a pregnancy, we have talked about it in our regular podcast, the Pro-Life Guys podcast. We had a conversation with Dr. Ryan Wilson from the Canadian Physicians for Life, and he outlined some of these things. I think it's important to note uh, that there may be medical circumstances where uh, a pregnancy would need to be ended. Uh, but one of the things we highlighted in that episode is that there are never circumstances where the pregnancy has to be ended by tearing apart that young child. And so look into it more. Um, we, we have the Pro-Life Guys podcast, so you can be more equipped to answer people, answer the justifications for abortion and do it in a winsome and effective way. Continuing on, we head over to the UK and women seeking an abortion in Jersey will no longer be able, will no longer need to wait a week for an appointment after requesting an abortion. The island's government has agreed to update the 1997 abortion law following calls from one pro-abortion politician, Deputy Louise Dublet. Now, since abortions are not offered in, Jer in Jersey after 12 weeks, one of the main arguments that was made was that the mandatory seven-day waiting period was an unnecessary barrier to accessing safe and legal abortion uh, care. And it 
just having to wait for those seven days could push women across the 12-week threshold, forcing them either to continue to be pregnant, continue on with their pregnancy, or to, to leave the island and seek medical treatment elsewhere, which she says could risk complications. And so she said medical abortions are usually available, uh, only available up to nine weeks of pregnancy. So waiting those seven days really would be an unnecessary surgical procedure. Women won't have to wait anymore. That seven-day waiting period is no longer in place, and women can get a, an abortion the day they request one. Mm-hmm. And this is certainly a tragic development in Jersey, and, and we've seen, not only in Jersey, but also in several American states and other places around the world, how important this waiting period is, not just so that pro-lifers can put these random hurdles into the way of, of mothers and, and cause them to be delayed and, and these sorts of things, but rather because for a decision that is this profound, and abortion advocates agree that nobody chooses abortion lightly for something that is so profound, such a life-altering decision, obviously for the child, but even for that mother as well, that waiting period allows them to find other support that's available. That waiting period for many mothers is what it was that caused them to say, no, I can do this. No, I can do this with my partner. I can do this with my family. I can do this with the support that's available. I am scared. I am terrified. I'm in a bad situation, but I can do this. I don't need to kill my child to get out of this scenario. And that is what this waiting period achieves for so many mothers, that this overwhelming um, emotional surge of, oh my goodness, I'm pregnant, how am I going to deal with this, is incredibly natural and incredibly understandable, as we've talked about. And it's important to have this waiting period. It's a, a very great tragedy. And there will be many lives that are lost because mothers are able to call, book an appointment, and have their abortion, whether it's the same day or even the next day, um, not allowing them to really process what it is that they're choosing. Choosing the death of their child and killing a human being can never solve even the hardest and most difficult of circumstances. Yeah, we've talked about this in the past as well, Cam, about the the supporters of abortion and those who are pushing abortion on the political level, looking at laws, um, they're trying to make abortion as accessible as possible. Taking away the seven-day waiting period is certainly one way that they're doing that. But there's also another way, also in the U UK, uh, but we've moved to Northern Ireland. Pressure from the UK government on Northern Ireland is threatening political stability over the provision of abortion, which was forced on Northern Ireland against their will. So in 2019, the UK Parliament enacted the Northern Ireland Act 2019. Um, did a number of things, but it created a duty on the Secretary of State in Northern Ireland to implement abortion reform. These changes would allow abortion access in all circumstances up until 12 weeks of pregnancy, and then some other circumstances past that point as well. But nearly two years in, and a number of, of statutory instruments later, long-term abortion facilities in Northern Ireland have yet to be commissioned, which is a great thing, uh, but apparently, according to the supporters of abortion, this leaves many women and girls in vulnerable positions. Mm -hmm. I, a huge shout out to the incredible Defenders of Life in Northern Ireland. We have featured Jonathan Van Maren, our colleague who wrote an entire book, Patriots, the Untold Story of Ireland's Pro-Life Movement and their defense of pro-life protection of preborn children in Ireland, now Northern Ireland. They're pushing this in Northern Ireland, which has been a staunch defender of life for decades. Um, 
They have withstood the pressure from the UK and from countries around the world um, to bring abortion to their shores as well with very, very stringent restrictions. And now the UK, England itself, is trying to flex their muscles and pressure Northern Ireland into forcing abortion on its people. This, well, When we think about news stories that we've tracked, we've seen um, the conflicts between Scotland and England on not this issue, but we've seen how contentious that union already is. And I'm incredibly proud and pleased with those fighting in Northern Ireland that they realize that this is a hill worth dying on. This is the hill worth saying no. We are not willing to accept the pressure from our English neighbors forcing us to kill our own children. Cannot speak highly enough again of those in Northern Ireland and I truly hope that they will continue to fight this good fight with the encouragement and support of people around the world defending the lives of the weak and vulnerable and pushing back against this pressure from the UK Parliament um, to try to force them to provide abortion to mothers on um, within their country. If you haven't yet hit that subscribe button, do do so now. One of the videos that, that we just put up was one where Cam did a, a remarkable job talking about um, just issues surrounding Down syndrome and abortion, really, really great and short video that you can talk about. And, and we did that in response to World Down Syndrome Day, which was on March 21. Now, World, World Down Syndrome Day is a global awareness day designated to advocating for the rights of people with Down syndrome. And around the world, countless people, probably including in your nation as well, celebrate the lives and the con contributions of those with Down syndrome. Well, almost all. In Austria, uh, on World Down Syndrome Day, March 21, uh, protesters arrived at Sydney's St. Mary's Cathedral on World Down Syndrome Day to cheer, uh, to lead cheery chants that uh, would only have been heard about uh, by about you know a million times by pro-lifers, such as "F the church, F the state, we alone will decide our fate." These are chants we've heard time and time and time again. They're extremely intellectually dishonest and illiterate. Um, you know, I think about my body, my choice is something we hear all the time. What really does my body, my choice mean? There's so many holes in that you could drive a bus through it. Um, but all these, you know, these cheery chants that abortion supporters like to use were, were heard. Um, and this comes as no surprise to those who have been in the movement for quite some time. However, at this church in, in Australia, there was a video that's been released where a young woman, uh, she's wearing a blue coat, a backpack, and, and pumping her fist in the air, led a new chant that we have not heard before. The chant states, we will fight, we will win, put the fetus in the bin. We will fight, we will win, put the fetus in the bin. This is remarkable. Just think about this for a moment. Someone took their, their day off on a Sunday. Uh, someone decided to go to a church and someone decided to, to chant, put the fetus in the bin. One of the things we've noticed with, with uh, these pro-abortion chants is that, like I said, they're intellectually void. They don't actually talk about the, you know, what's going on. But here we, we have an, a, an admission. We're talking about a fetus. We're talking about a bin, a garbage bin, a rubbish bin, and we're talking very specifically about putting this fetus in the bin. Yeah, something that tragically happens all too often as reports continue to stream out from, from clinics and hospitals of children who are at times even born alive being thrown into the bin. Um, this is absolutely horrifying that, especially on a day that is dedicated towards celebrating the lives of people who have an extra copy of chromosome 21 in each and every one of their cells, that we would go out and protest their life. 
suggesting that their life is not worth it and that we should be allowed to kill them so long as they're young enough for people not to mind. This is absolutely barbaric. And this is something that, that as you've mentioned, Peter, we see all too often at pro-life events and pro-abortion rallies, people claiming um, this idea of freedom and um, advancement of society. And yet, as we have talked about, ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. I hope that those who heard her shouting out this absolutely bonkers um, chant recognized it for the filth that it was. Hopefully they extended love to her, but complete rejection to what it was that she was proclaiming and that we understand the fact that we need to defend the rights of all people. Obviously, we need to do more to um, protect and support those encountering challenging pregnancies. As we've, as we've talked about here, better support needs to be made available, better companionship through that process and not just throwing money at a problem. However, especially on a day like World Down Syndrome Day, where we ought to be celebrating diversity within our society, how heinous is it that there are those who will go out and attack the livelihoods of those that they view to be inferior to their own? And with that, sir, we conclude with one other study. Uh, briefly, the Turnaway study, uh, as noted by Secular Pro-Life, has some findings that shows that women who were denied an abortion no longer want to have one after a five-year period. They write, and I quote, One week after abortion denial, 65% of participants reported still wishing they could have had the abortion. After the birth, only 12% of women reported that they wished that they could have had the abortion. At the time of the child's birthday, 7% still wished that they could have had an abortion. By five years, this went down to 4%. So this is, this is a, 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 great, a, gr a great finding, actually, that you know, after, after birth, only 12% of women who were denied an abortion would still want to have one. After five years, only 4%. Mm -hmm. And I think that this speaks very much to the pastoral arm of the pro-life movement and how well they actually do support these mothers and fathers, not only during their pregnancy, but long after as well. That pregnancy is incredibly overwhelming, regardless of what kind of a relationship you're in, what kind of a situation you're in. You may be in the best possible relationship imaginable, and yet it's still overwhelming all of the weight, all of the joys, all of the sorrows, all of the things that are changing in your life. This is something that happens for every new parent, and I'm so thankful that that support is available that draws them to saying, you know what, I'm glad that I went through this. Maybe maybe not quite so much, I, I'm excited, I wish that I had 10 more children necessarily, but it is very, very encouraging that so many of these parents who are polled, um, given time, time to connect with their child who was there from the moment of fertilization, but may have been difficult to connect with for, for a variety of reasons. As they connect more and more to this child, they recognize and they value their lives. And again, speak highly of those that are supporting them through this early years of their child's development. I think that it speaks to the support that is actually available for these mothers and fathers, that it is not as daunting or as challenging as it may seem to be, though at times, obviously, there are massive hurdles that must be navigated. There's an entire army of pro-life warriors there to help you navigate whatever it is that you might be facing, whatever challenges, doubts, fears you might be encountering. There are people who want to help and help through that process, not simply until your child is born, but long after that as well. On that note, sir, just to 
to, to, to make the point a little bit more, I remember the conversation that we had on the Pro-Life Guys podcast with Laura Clausen from Choice for Two. She talked about the women that she works with uh, to help them, you know, choose life for their child and then and then provide the things that they need. Um, you know, for the pregnancy and in the early years. And she talks about the registries, the Amazon registries that she puts on. I have never yet been able to uh, <laughs> put any money towards these registries because by the time I find them, um, they're, they're complete. I mean, she puts them on social media. They get completed sometimes in minutes uh, because of the willingness of pro-lifers and the desire for from pro-lifers to support women in, in troubling situations. So if you're in a situation like that, if you know someone in a situation like that, do know that there is help available. Connect with us or even Laura Clausen, who does this as a, a regular, uh, you know, it's not, I don't think it's a job for her, but it, she does it on the full time. That's for sure. <laughs> Um, because there is a significant amount of help out there. And if you're a pro-lifer, make sure that you let people know that those options are available. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. This is The Pulse, a collection of important and interesting pro-abortion-related uh, news from around the world brought to you from a pro-life perspective. We talk about the importance of telling our own stories. This is an opportunity for us to do it. This is where we try to do it to the best of our ability. So please do let us know what you think. Let us know if there's a story you want us to cover in next month's episode and do leave a review, send us a comment, subscribe on YouTube, all of those things. Uh, if you want to reach out to us in any way, you can do it prolifeguys.com or you can find us on your favorite social media platform. We're there. If you're watching this on YouTube, but you want to listen to this on your drive, you can find this episode and many others on your favorite podcast catcher or reverse that if you're on your favorite podcast catcher and you want to watch on YouTube. Lo and behold, this will be on YouTube as well. I want to highlight one thing as well. Uh, as, as part of the Pro-Life Guys podcast mission, we want to equip and... Uh, yeah, equip people to be effective and winsome advocates for preborn children. And uh, and we want you to be part of that as well. You can become a patron of the Pro-Life Guys. You can join us in this mission. You can ensure that we can continue on with this podcast and with some of the other projects that we have going on here at the Pro-Life Guys and at the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash prolifeguys. Patreon.com slash prolifeguys. There's also an opportunity to receive some pretty cool merch. So go check it out, patreon.com slash pro-life guys. We also have another series called Humans of the Pro-Life Movement, a series where we highlight unsung heroes of the pro-life movement, those working behind the scenes, those who are receiving no visibility. And you know, they're not doing it for the fame or the notoriety, but they're out on the streets on a regular basis talking to people about abortion and seeing people change their minds and seeing lives saved. We have some pretty sweet conversations up there already. They're just short conversations, 20 minutes or so, uh, and you get a bit of an insight into the lives of pro-lifers and you get to hear some of the really cool stories that have come out of the work that they've done. So go check it out, Humans of the Pro-Life Movement, on your favorite podcast catcher or on YouTube. That's it for now, everyone. My name's Peter. That's Cam, the co-host of the show and the bearded legend. What a guy. Uh, we love having him on, and we hope you tune in again next time. God bless you all.